You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui Wallace. Slow fashion, ethical fashion, sustainable fashion, organic, socially responsible, living wage, transparency. We hear these terminologies more and more these days in relation to a fashion industry that is responsible for 10% of the world's carbon emissions, while 85% of textiles end up in landfills each year. Along with the environmental costs, there is also the human cost of fashion, where particularly women and children in some of the world's most vulnerable countries are forced to work in horrific conditions for next to nothing. But fast fashion is really becoming a thing of the past. Many large, known fast fashion brands are beginning to fold, and we're seeing more buyers move towards conscious, ethical, and sustainable clothing options. People are choosing to invest in craftsmanship. They're asking questions about the factory conditions in which the items were made and pursuing a less is more approach to their wardrobe. A fashion designer who spent the last 12 years in the industry building relationships and the last five building a brand based on conscious, honest, and transparent values is Peruvian fashion designer and founder of Moj Moj, Mojde Matin. Born in the Peruvian Andes to parents of Iranian descent, Mojta has dedicated her life and business to the preservation of Peruvian culture and textiles, introducing age-old techniques, craftsmanship, and designs to an international audience. In her interview with Cloud9, we'll learn more about how her unique and colorful designs and textiles are constructed in collaboration with rural artisans and indigenous women from around the country. We'll also explore the influence of her faith from childhood and how it exposed her to the same rural communities she continues to work with to this day, building communities the best way that she knows how, through service, consultation, and sincere friendship. Mojda, a warm welcome to Cloud9. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So excited to be here. I want to start our conversation today by reflecting on the following words of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i Faith. He says that no welfare and no well-being can be attained except through consultation. The foundation of your business is built on this fundamental principle of consultation, through the way that you engage with your artisans when developing a concept from its inception. Could you walk us through the initial design process, how you approach or collaborate on an idea with your artisans? Yes, so what we do is I, I'm very, very interested in the textile techniques that we have in Peru since I'm very little. And the reason why I develop it um, develop my brand with it is because I was so excited like to to see how this works no and so I start traveling around and going to different communities in Peru visiting them and like learning with them their their techniques and what I do basically for the brand is that whenever I want to start a collection I 
um, see what kind of fabrics I want to work with, what kind of techniques. And I visit these communities and, and I see like, what are they doing right now? You know, like I like to see what is the latest thing they've been doing for themselves, for the development of their craftsmanship and work with that. No, So I, I never go with a, a specific idea of I want exactly these with these colors and these shapes. I'm very open to see what are they doing so I can work with that. And then uh, when, I, when I do that, like that's, that's the place where we start to do the consultation. No, because mm. it's like a 50-50 work. They show me something uh, and then we develop together. I never have a, an exact idea on how this is going to look like in the end. And I'm very open to what is going to be fabrics or the needs. Like, I'm very open to talk with, um, with artisans and see like, how can we develop something different? What can we do with the things I want to make? What are they making? Like, it's a mix. Yeah. No? Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't imagine that many Peruvian fashion designers like yourself work as closely as you do with your artisans. I mean, a lot of these artisans live in these incredibly remote regions of the country, including the Amazon. I know that early on you'd go as far as living with them in their villages for extended periods of time, building a foundation of trust through friendship and consultation. So how did these relationships initially unfold and how have you been able to sustain them for so long? Yes, yeah, so as as a Baha'i since I was a kid, um, I travel a lot to different communities. I was born in the mountains and we used to go very close to there or also like even when I was living in the city, we used to travel to build a community through service and develop relationships with the communities. And when I started to work in fashion and I wanted to also work with these people who makes uh, beautiful things, um, the same principles no i was using and i've been like developing these relationships with them um through trust no confidence and to like having a very close relationship no like the the way we work together is like friends it's like uh, almost family uh, the relationship i have with the artisans is not like when you call to a factory, to a supplier, and you go straight to your product. Mm. You know, the relationship we build, like whenever, like even when I'm in the city and I, I want to call them and see how my production is going, is the, the, conversa the conversation starts like, how are you? How's your family? How's the weather mm. there? Like, it's like talking with a friend, mm. you know? And, and because... We have to be very sensitive. This is a this is a very sensitive way to work. It's not cold, no. In 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 fashion, we're more used to like have a very cold relationship with the factories, mm. no. And and this is more real. And I think um, the reason why it was so natural for me to do it is because I've done it since I'm a kid. And also, yes, as you said, there's not much designers in Peru who does this. Um, because his fashion uh, in Peru started in the way that the designers wanted to like, uh, used to see like European brands and wanted to like 
copy those, right? And nobody was really traveling inside Peru and developing collections with artisans. A few designers start to doing it in 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 their own ways, yeah. no? But it was I I felt very blessed to have the opportunity because it it felt like I don't know, it felt like I was um in the right place, you know? Right. Like it came to me in a way that I felt like, wow, this is so special. And I'm so lucky to be able to, to see these, to develop uh, my, my designs with them. You know, yeah. like it was, it, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, this is perfect. It leads perfectly into my next question. In the Baha'i writings, the eldest son of Baha'u'llah, his name is Abdul Baha said that truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. So how has this um, relationship of truthfulness, which I'm sure is translated to trust, um, developed since your childhood till now? And how has this trust been an asset to the growth and development of your of your brand? Um, I, I think that whenever you want something, you have to start doing it yourself. So for me and my brand, because my brand is like part of me, um, I, I need to develop these qualities, these virtues to have them back to me. So for me, I, I have this trust in, in the artisans, in the people I work with, in buyers, in everyone around me, because I feel th that's the base. That's the, it's like, finally, like, when you develop a brand for me, it's also like developing a community and mm -hmm. it, a community is like a family. So you have to be honest with your family and that's how they're going to be honest with you. So it's an extension. And I, and that's how I build, like I build the brand very organically in a very holistic way that I feel like everything is connected with everything and, and honesty and confidence are like, one of the bases for that. I love that you're you're recognizing the qualities that you want to develop in yourself and emulating them through your company and in turn you're you're building this this family around you um which I think is so unique for for anyone in the fashion industry to to learn about. That's really special. Now I'd love to learn more about your work surrounding the preservation of these ancient textile techniques. The Universal House of Justice, the international supreme body of the Baha'i community, wrote a letter in 1986 that encouraged Baha'i communities to give the people pride and self-confidence in their native traditions of preserving those which are colorful enrichments of social and personal life. Could you give us a bit of background as to why the preservation of these ancient techniques and textiles is so valuable to the Peruvian people? And why do you feel this sense of social and spiritual responsibility, like personal responsibility to the mission? Yes, that's a beautiful question. Um, so first of all, about the textiles in Peru are very important because we have a long history about them, like pre-Inca, um, like 5,000 5, years ago. We're one of the uh, most important countries about textile history. No, like we have developed like techniques and 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 ways to make textile in such a beautiful way that 
even in some cultures in Peru, these were like made for months and years only to be buried with them when you die, you know, like. Wow. It, yeah. It, they were very special. And also when the Spanish conquered Peru, the Incas hide their textiles because for the Incas, the textile was, was like the most important thing because their history was written in there. Right. Like mm-hmm. they, they let mm-hmm. the Spanish take the gold and the silver, but not their textiles. Even if like mm-hmm. probably the Spanish didn't even care for them, for the Incas, it was like very important. And in everywhere you go in Peru, every community has a different way of dressing, different colors, different techniques. Uh, some of them have embroideries, others have like different weaving techniques. Um, Actually, like the backstrap technique was, it's very native to Peru, one that we know all around the world. Can you describe what the backstrap is? Yes. So the backstrap is is a technique that you um, make a loom connected, like it could be a tree in front of you, like three meters away, and you connect it to your waist and you start weaving Mm. and you have to be seated and straight so you can like weave this like correctly. Um, wow. And this is the technique that I work with mostly because it's from the, it's also from the community where I was born. Um, and I love it because like nobody was really working with them. I feel, I feel the sense of um, social responsibility because for me, since I was a uh, very little and we did like service around the community and mostly because of the Baha'i faith, like I had, this spirit since I'm a kid and I wanted to like have a career in my life that I could mix both. I could mix my passion and mix service with it. That was like my main goal. And that's Mm. something that in the Baha'i writings as a young person, you're motivated to do, no? So for me, it was very important to develop uh, these skills together. And, And for me, working with the communities was, was that, no? Was like, because so, because a lot of a lot of the techniques from some communities are like getting lost like because a lot of like young people they don't want to like keep learning that cuz yeah. they rather go to the cities and you know like have this modern life and they don't want to stay in the communities but if we work with them if we can like develop uh, uh, some projects with them they can preserve it longer so for me, it was like, I felt like this is what I have to do. Yeah. I was born here and I can see this. So I feel like this is a responsibility I have in some way. You know? in, in, it's not only like I want to work with them. It's also like mm-hmm. let's, let's have more uh, projects so we can involve more people, more communities, and don't lose this amazing history that we have. Um. I'm reminded of this quote by Abdul Baha. He says, make ye a mighty effort and choose for yourself a noble goal. And I think by combining your love of creativity with your love for community and and your love for preservation and and reinforcing this this ancient history and making it accessible to younger generations, I think you've chosen a very noble path. And we're so lucky um, to have you to learn learn from. Now, my next question um, is, is coming, coming back to my introduction 
earlier on in this interview, I started talking about sustainability. And to many fashion forward or fashionally conscious individuals, this concept of sustainable ethical fashion is relatively new. We see a lot of brands coming out these days with ethical lines and a radical approach to transparency, which has really only come to the forefront of mainstream consciousness and conversation in the last like three to four years. But you say that these are values that you've ingrained in your business ethos from its inception. So I'd love to learn what aspects of your belief in the Baha'i faith and also your upbringing led you to have this approach to your work and the way that you run your company now. Since we are um, kids in the Baha'i faith, we learned that we need to develop our uh, virtues. So if we all develop our virtues we can all live in a peaceful world so that's like the goal right um so for me developing the brand was very like developing um, a part of me like a branch no uh, so for me it was I, I started the brand doing it in the most honest way in the most transparent way in the way that i felt it was ethical in the way like it in a very personal way, I wasn't thinking like in a business strategy. I actually like start from very little, from like also almost with nothing. I started to grow very organically. And somehow in that point, the sustainable fashion wasn't even a thing when I started. And it was something that I was experimenting for years, traveling, um, learning and then I was like oh I'm ready to have a brand now and and then I started to make the collections and showing them and I and then after a few years there was this boom of sustainable fashion and suddenly I was part of it but I started to being called like a sustainable brand and for me it was like okay, if that's going to be a label that I'm going to be part of it, I support it, no? But I never thought about starting a sustainable mm -hmm. brand. Sustainability is a culture. It's a culture that you develop uh, in your mm -hmm. uh, consumismo, in your consumers, right? It's, it's about how much you consume, like do you buy the things you need, um, and also about the materials you use, as a client or as a designer and for me from the beginning it was very important to use right. like raw materials uh, peruvian natural materials such as cotton such as alpaca or wool um, now i work with natural rubber which i'm i am uh, showing it mm. as a alternative of leather it was a constant challenge it was a constant challenge to only work with these materials i, I mean for me it, the challenge as a designer it wasn't like the shape or you know like my challenges were what can i do with what i have around me? right with the with the artisans i have i used to like travel a lot still or visit like like shows and things to like meet new people and new artisans and travel and and that's the way I was also always looking at something that I can work with. Yeah. No, it's it's nothing. I haven't invented anything. Mm -hmm. I've just like used what already existed and put it. You're given it new life. Exactly, a new life in a contemporary life. So it would have been. I mean, it would have been easy for you just to go and buy like some fabric at the local store, but 
you are very determined because of your commitment to preservation. Um, you are very determined to make this kind of textile work. And I think that's yeah. what gives you that edge and, I, and that uniqueness. Yeah. And I also feel like I'm so lucky to be able to develop my own fabrics. Mm -hmm. Handmade. Like that's not something easy you can find. Like I was like so lucky to like be able to do it. And when I started to actually cut these uh, woven fabrics, a lot of like designers in Peru were like, are you crazy? You can't do that. <laughs> like, why are you cutting a poncho? Right. You know, like it was like, you don't do that. And now everyone is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know? Yeah. I'm wondering, you must, you've already touched on how valuable it is to you to work with these materials. You must be so meticulous and and precise in everything that you do. I just imagine you don't want anything to go to waste or to make a single mistake because the implications are so great. Yes, and the challenges are like the size of the fabric, no? Like what can I do with this and and if I cut it in two, how many styles I can make on that, no? Like I have different challenges. It's not like, oh, I love this Italian fabric and I'm just going to make a huge dress with it, no? Like Right. I don't, um, the way I work, it's very different. It's, it's, I have to accommodate to the sizes of the backstrap uh, handloom mm -hmm. that they work. I've learned to adapt like my designs to that, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And uh, you also, you don't work just in textiles, but I also know that you work in, in beading and things like that. So is that the same kind of approach um, yes. to these other mediums? Yes. So the beading, I started to work with the beading because I am, um, because there's a huge group of native women in Peru, um, well, men and women, but most the women are who does the beading, which are the Shipibo women. Mm -hmm. And these are from the Amazon. Instead of the beads, they used to use seeds and they used to make their necklaces and, and their ornaments and everything with seeds. And well, the, in the past, I don't know, 50 years, they, they had access to occidental materials. So for me, working with beads, even if that's the only material that is not nat a natural material from here, I was doing it because this is the way they work and they've learned since they are kids in their communities, no? So even that we have mixed with seeds, because I like that part too, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. the, the beating comes from the inspiration with the jungle, because we have, you know, Peru has Amazon and, and a huge jungle, beautiful jungle. And because I am from the mountains, I am from the Andes, I... I actually started to like travel to the Amazon in the past five years. It was very new for me. Like I'm a mountain girl, not a jungle, but now like I'm obsessed with the jungle. So mm -hmm. I was like finding all the ways possible to work with the jungle. That it's something that is not very common because it's very far. Yeah. So I really wanted to go there and work with them. So speaking of the jungle, you also uh, mentioned earlier this, and also reflecting on sustainability, this um, alternative to leather that you, I don't know if you didn't discover it, did you? Or could you tell us a little bit about um, this rubber kind of material yeah. that, yeah, we've seen, we've seen some famous people wearing online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, we had Bella Hadid wearing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we developed... So the rubber existed in Peru and it was a boom, the rubber boom we had like a hundred years ago. 
it was um, natural rubber that it was work here in the Peruvian Amazon making wheels, no? Like for a long time, it was a huge mm. history, but full of blood because they abuse a lot of native people to develop this rubber. And nobody has really worked with that since then. Um, we, we have a very, very small industry of uh, rubber for shoes, but not in, in clothing, nothing. So I was a friend of mine, an interior designer friend of mine, who was like designing a hotel in the jungle. She showed me this material. She brought it to me and she's like, what you say? You should work with it. You should do something with it. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And I was very interested and I always love leather, but I, I'm not into like killing animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always like the feeling, more the cold, the the feeling of the of the leather and I wanted something similar so I wanted to and I remember this rubber and I travel and visit the community and met this beautiful family that I work with and they have their trees uh, and they take care of the trees this is a tree of rubber that they make cuts and the rubber comes out and you're not killing the tree because you can keep doing that in different parts of the tree in a very organized way that you're not killing it. And so I took a lot of different materials to experiment and come up with a new material. And we end up working uh, in, in a way in, with a material that they were also working on. So it was, all, uh, again, consultation. Yeah. Um, and we developed this new material that um, we're now showing it and selling it as the first brand ever who's doing it. wow that's so cool and, and it's and it's yeah and, and it's very cool because it's native to here um it's about like patience and time and going there and visit and like uh like the people people in the jungle have these uh, believings of uh, like when i arrived they were like like the sky and the sun, like it, it was in a way that they that they felt like it was for me, you know? Mm. Like they they talk to you like in a very holistic way. Like every everything is a sign for them. And for them, like they say that they rejected working with people. And the way I came to them, it was a way that they felt they want to work with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was very beautiful and we have a really beautiful relationship and I'm I'm very excited to see like all the things we can do together. Yeah, that is so cool. Now, in terms of the Mojmoj operations, you run a really small immediate team with I think only two assistants and a few contractors. But what I really love is that your company also employs dozens of female artisans as you've already mentioned that live in cities and villages from across the country. And it enables them to access opportunities and resources that they wouldn't have otherwise. The Baha'i writings and teachings place a great importance in women and their role in building and uniting communities. In regards to women, Abdul Baha, who we've already spoken about, the son of Baha'u'llah, said that they are worthy of every gift. Verily, ye deserve to adorn your heads with the crown of everlasting glory, because in the sciences and arts, in virtues and perfections, ye shall become equal to man. 
and as in regards to tenderness of heart and the abundance of mercy and sympathy, ye are superior. In respect to the creation of your textiles and general business operations, what unique qualities have you seen women in particular contribute to the Mojmoj brand? Wow, that's a beautiful question again. Um, <laughs> so confidence, mm. uh, it's, a, it's a very important uh, virtue. Also, um, I don't know, it feels again like, it feels so close, it feels so warm, it feels so natural. It's like, I don't know, a lot of them, the way we work together, it's, it's in a very like familiar way. And, and what I love is that they are doing this because they want to, I mean, the knitting in Peru, it is, it is a, it is a native language. Like wherever you go, you take a bus, there's someone knitting in the bus. There's always a woman knitting. When you travel to the mountains, there's always a woman around like, um, spinning yarn you know like mm-hmm. uh, so it's something so from here that it, a lot of these women most of them they're doing it to preserve it to preserve their techniques to preserve their tradition their family traditions because this is something you learn since you're little it's not something that you learn when you're grown up this is a family thing and a lot of these women are doing this also because they want to be, they want to have their, they want to be in charge of their own economies. And it's very important to have this. And for me, it's very important to support them in this because there's a lot of um, abuse in Peru to women in general, no? And, And this is a way that they can like stand up and, and like be their, their, themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like this is a way that they don't have to be under a man. And this is something that really like empowers them. Yeah. So it's a wonderful thing that you're doing and creating this, um, m- you know, mobilizing, mobilizing these women to take ownership and to build that confidence. Um, so for those tuning in, we're recording this interview in the midst of a global health pandemic, COVID-19 with strict orders to self-isolate and socially distant ourselves from the people around us. So many countries are also mandating that citizens wear face masks and protective wear as well. So you've already kind of mentioned, you touched on this earlier, but reflecting on our earlier conversation about sustainability, I saw a post on Instagram a few weeks ago that you're making face masks out of this dead stock, which you've already mentioned, and these cutoffs um, that you've been collecting. So could you tell us a bit about about that and how these face masks came about and how we can get our hands on them? Yes, of course. <laughs> this is something I never really planned or thought about. I don't think any of us planned. <laughs> I've never even thought. Like I actually, when the quarantine started here in Peru and well, I have my studio in the first floor in my house. And I was like thinking in all the things I can do while I'm here in the quarantine. And I started to remember that I had a lot of dead stock from all the collections, all my past collections. Whatever I cut it, I never throw it. Every time 
mm-hmm. the sewers I work with uh, brought me back the little pieces. They were like laughing on me and say like, why do you need this? This is right. trash. And I was like, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> and for me, it was always like someday I'm going to have like an art project probably with that or something, you know, like mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to to save it for something important. You know, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. that feeling, but I really didn't know what was it. So when I started the quarantine and I was looking what to do and I remember this dead stock, I started to play with it, you know, like to, to think what can I do with this? And then I call one of the girls I work with. Um, she's a sewer. She lives like oh, 40 minutes from my house. And I was thinking on her and I was like, and I call her one day and I was like, hey, um, what are you doing these days? She's like, oh, I'm so bored. I'm sleeping <laughs> till noon. Please give me some work. And I was like, okay, I'm going to send you material and we're going to think about what we can do. And this was like maybe after the four week of the quarantine because Mm -hmm. in the first four weeks I had no way to like send her something because we couldn't like move around it was very hard yeah and one of the persons that uh, contributes to Mosh Mosh is um, uh, someone that moves material for me around the city because this is a big city and so I I sent her the material and after very like after nothing I was like (laughs) oh what about what if we do masks with this because I was thinking these are very little pieces and I started to to every time I was going out for shopping for grocery shopping and I was seeing everyone with masks it, it really it was really touching me in a way of I didn't know if I was getting sad or happy to see that everything changes and I love changes um so I was I don't know I had this thing about the mask and I was like oh what if what if we do mask can you try and make one and send me a photo and she did it and I was like wow let's do everything with like use everything with mask let's Mm -hmm. do this no and I started to like and I posted a photo in my Instagram to see like what happens and it had it had an amazing uh, feedback and now I am contributing to my community with like colorful mosh mosh masks. <laughs> everyone can <laughs> everyone can have a piece of mosh mosh now. And, and this is how I'm keeping myself busy. Yeah, this yeah. Is what I'm doing and I'm doing the deliveries when it's close to my house. Like whatever is on my neighborhood, yeah. I am delivering it on my bike. Oh, like, that's so cool. Free. And, and I'm very happy to do it. I love it because I because Mosh Mosh has also been an international brand, and I haven't been like doing a lot in Peru for my community. I haven't mm-hmm. like I sell only in one store here. I, mm-hmm. I've been very focused on exporting my brand, mm-hmm. and it's the first time I feel that the, my Peruvian community is like having a Mosh Mosh item, you mm-hmm. know, and. And it's and it's very nice to like give them the mask and everyone is so happy and I love to see them happy. Yeah. And I wish I could like send it out. Like a lot of people from outside Peru has wrote me for the mask, but but shipping them, it will be crazy. Yeah. Forget about you know? it. Yeah, so I know. It won't get here until not... like after <laughs> the no, second wave. <laughs> it, it will get there in a week, but yeah. 
they, they I don't want to like. Yeah, like, it's not sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. it's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I'm prioritizing my community, right? Yeah, now. that's awesome. Um, now, we've sadly come to the end of this episode of Cloud9. But before we go, I'd just love to hear about what you've got planned down the pipeline. I know that you've been to New York Fashion Week. You've done uh, Fashion Weeks in, in Europe as well, if I'm not mistaken. You got stock in stores around the world, including Japan and North America and some places in Europe. So um, do you want to just tell us or give us a sneak peek uh, into the near future for Marge Marge? Well, we are still doing our, we're still producing our fall winter collection. We should oh. be in the stores in September, October. I think we're going to I think the fashion calendar is going to move. It's going to, there's a whole conversation mm. happening right now in general in fashion, which I love. And is about how the fashion sh- system should change. And I'm glad like this is so shocking that everyone is starting to think how they can be sustainable and how they can change the fashion calendar. So, yeah, so we're going to, I mean, I'm not going to stop working with the artisans uh i'm still working with them i want to keep working with them um i think as a sustainable brand we're gonna uh, get out of this um much better than anyone Mm. um and we'll be we will be still selling around the world as we're doing it like for fall we have uh, more than 15 stores around the world where we're going to sell our collection. So I think I think it's we're going to be fine. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen in the world right now after the pandemic. I think, yeah. I think it was like very necessary for us to stop, be in standby, take a breath, you know, like think on the things we're doing and why are we doing them and, and the impact we're leaving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's something like 22, 24 seasons or something in some of these fast fashion <laughs> brands, right? It's like <laughs> crazy. So I think you've only got one or two that you... I have two, Two yes, that you focus on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's more than enough. Like you don't need, it's not about how much you need, like how much you can buy, you know? It's like what, what you actually need to use and... And maybe that's why it's also, it, it's also more, um, um, the cost is higher because it has more time developing it. It's handmade. No, but then it's something that you can have for so long. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the fashion industry is, is really, really rethinking on that. Like yeah. big stores are doing it. And yeah, finally, I'm very excited. I, I think that we are getting into the 21st century for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah, and you're in a perfect place for that. Yes. Mojda, it's been such a treat to talk to you. I feel like your story has been very insightful and inspiring. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a special conversation to have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Cloud9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Bahaiteachings.org where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.